Well, today you know, we are observing Veterans Day and uh, just wanted to see if we have any veterans among us. If y'all please stand. Right? One? But uh, we just want to thank uh, Mr. Larry Turner for coming out today. And uh, we'll turn it over to him. And Mr. Mr. Turner, if you want to come. Uh, you can if you want to. Okay. <laughs> Well, I thank each and every one of you for allowing me to be here today. Um, before I start, let me have a prayer. And I'll tell you, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Father, we thank you for the veterans that have served our nation, our country. I just pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll continue to bless our veterans and our militaries, because without them, we're helpless. Thank you, Father, for this church and for these young people in this church. I just pray, Heavenly Father, for the pastor that's in Nashville. Just pray that you'll restore him back to his health and get him back to his family soon. These blessings I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I am a Vietnam veteran and I graduated from Maya High School in 1965. And when I was a young kid and a teenager, I spent a lot of time in this area. Jeffrey, no stranger here. <laughs> a lot of you people I don't know, and I'm sure you all don't know me. And Brother Charles Turner here, I went and stayed at him one summer and helped him work. He is a fine young man. He's got to be young because he looks older than I do. <laughs> uh, but, Vietnam War, uh, like I say, I graduated in 65, and I never dreamed of being in the military. I know all of you know Philip Pickock. Philip Pickock was a good friend of mine. I played football with him, and uh, when he got wounded, I went to his house, mother and dad's, and visited him. And I still didn't think about me being in the military. So I started to work, went to work, worked in Louisville for a year, year and a half, driving a truck for Lindsay Tarr, changing those big loader tires. I'd have to go in them big tunnels and them caves and change those tires. And I worked up there for about a year and a half, came back, went to work at Tyson Barrett. I gave up $3,000 to go back to go work over there, which I was making good money, but I was driving that truck for 70, 80 hours a week. So when I started work at Tyson's, I thought I had everything going well. <laughs> I bought me a new 66 Ford Fairlane, solid white, red pinstripe on the side. So. <laughs> I know Cleva quite a while. You know, she worked for Olivia Bowles, and I knew her family, and I thought at that time she's the prettiest girl I ever seen. <laughs> and still think that. I gotta say that, man. I gotta say that. 
Oh, me. But before I went to the military, I started dating her. We dated, I guess, two or three months, and then I got my call to go to the military. And when I got the call to go to the military, I just still didn't think about it. So uh, I went to Fort Knox, took my basic and AIT there, and my drill sergeant in basic, he had, he had served three tours in Vietnam. He was wounded three times. So I went through basic, a breeze, what, no trouble. I was in good physical health. Health, I weighed the same as I weigh now. <laughs> so, so I had no trouble with basic. AIT, I was in armor, armor personnel, and uh, done all that, what, no trouble. The only trouble I had was when we went out on a pack one winter night, it was raining and cold, freezing, and I had on a rain suit and a whole bunch of clothes under it. So when I went in the tent to lay down that night, I got my sleeping bag and froze to death. I could not get warm. So the next morning I told that the boy with me, he, he was in there with me, I said, I froze to death last night. He said, no wonder you didn't take your clothes off. <laughs> so I said, take your clothes off? Well, that night, the next night, I took my clothes off and stayed warm. And I had too much clothes on. But anyway, got through that. And uh, I got my orders to go to Vietnam. I already had a brother to go to Vietnam and made it home. So he, he got back home. Y'all might know him. His name was Huey. And... Uh, I prayed for him every night that he was over there. So when I got my orders to go to Vietnam, my brother Jerry, he got his orders to go to Korea. So me and him was in there at the same time. Well, basically, pretty close at the same time. But anyway, I was glad I went to Vietnam because I didn't want him to go because he was married. And uh, I wasn't, but I was dating Cleva. And me and Cleva done most of our dating by mail. <laughs> 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 oh, she did send me a fruitcake for Christmas. <laughs> so my my platoon had a good good Christmas present. They ate most of it. <laughs> oh, man. But anyway... When they shipped me out to go to Vietnam, I landed in the Dang, and they were under a rocket attack when we, when we landed. They put us in bunkers, and then uh, after that was over, they put us in a C-130. Everybody knows what a C-130 is, I'm sure. It's a prop plane. It's got four propellers on it and a big old open. It's as big as this church. So they stuck us in there on straps on the wall, so I was there. We didn't have no place to sit down. And that old thing just shaking like crazy. So when we landed in July, that's right on the South China Sea. 
So they kept us there for two weeks, orientation, and trying to get us prepared to go to our units. So when I got over to Bennett, it's a it was the seventeenth Armored Cow Division and the one ninety eighth Light Infantry Brigade. Our job was to support the infantry. And uh, I got to my unit and I was in the first platoon, which I am proud to be in that platoon because I I think that was the best platoon I could get in. My first mission we was to go out to a place they called it the horseshoe. And when you look at it, you got wood lines all the way around in an open valley down this way. Looks like a horseshoe. Well, we had been there, got in there and went about a 200 yards and we started getting mortars, RPGs, unmatched weapon fire. So, and we would, my troop, but I was I was in a <laughs> the people on that APC would not let me participate. They put me down inside. So you stay down here. So they was breaking me in. I would look up there once in a while and uh, I'd see those boys. When them bullets would hit them, they just fall back. So that went on for about 10 or 15 minutes. Then they finally had some airstrikes coming in, and they're bringing in the medevac choppers. That's the first time I'd seen the medevac work. And believe me, they had saved a lot of lives in Vietnam. Those medevac pilots did. They'd, when they'd come in a high LZ, they would not land that chopper. They'd come in, they'd have that man ready to go in that belly of that chopper. And then they were gone. And of course, everybody started opening up, shooting around, protecting. <coughs> From then on, when we come out of that, then they put me on the left gunner, 60 gunner. I was a 60 gunner operator. But we didn't have no problem with small arms fire. We had shields around our, our 60s and 50s. We had two 60s and a 50 on that APC. And there wasn't too many people mess with with, with automatic fire. Bullets wouldn't hurt us because they just bounced off them shields. The main thing we had a problem with was RPGs and mortars. We had a mission once that we went out the second platoon, uh, the first platoon and the third platoon and the infantry. There was a big group of us. We was going, we was leading, first platoon. We was going on this ravine, little old gully down there with a little water in it. I was the first one up. I was leading that day. I got up there. The lieutenant got up, and uh, we was getting mortars bad. So he got off his APC and was hurrying people along, trying to get them up there as fast as they could. And the mortar's still going off back there. So I looked down side of my APC, and my lieutenant was laying down there bleeding. He got hit in the head, in the leg, and in the arm. 
So I jumped down, bandaged him up, and got back up on my 60 and foreign in the woodland. So when it was all over, I helped get him in the medevac, and uh, we had, with the infantry, 1st platoon and the 3rd platoon, we had 28 wounded that day and 4 killed. So that left us. We they we didn't have enough manpower to really operate our APCs because we just had the driver and one gunner. So when it was all over with, third platoon went back and our and the infantry they went back and we stayed out there. And that was the first night that I'd ever dug a foxhole or a place to lay down. I had to, I dug out a, a low place where mortar would go over instead of hitting me. So the next morning, they sent a captain out there, Captain Soot, and brought reinforcements so we had enough people to man our APCs and he was our leader that day. So we had a far base called Dottie and they would mortar it about every other night and uh, before we got to this hill where they mortared from we had this village up there that uh, we had taken three days later and he said we're going to go back in this village and check it out. Well. We did, and uh, this one got off his APC, and he seen a foxhole over there. He went over and looked down that foxhole, and he was shot right through the shoulder when he leaned over. That VC shot him in the shoulder, so we tried to shoehorn him out. He would not come out. He would not give up. So when we got ready to leave, we just dropped the packages of C4 down in there, went out this way, about 20 feet, they died it, killed it. So we left there, went to this hill to protect this far base dotty. So we got up there and loggered up, we kind of loggered up in a circle. So just about sundown, this mortar came in, and my sergeant was walking behind my APC where I was at. I was at, had it open, trying to get things settled for the night. And he heard this mortar come in, and just as it went off, he shoved me in my APC. And he got the biggest bulk of that mortar. He gave it sucking air through his lungs. They were bubbling. So when he pushed me in there, I looked up and I seen that mortar flash, or not the, the smoke where that mortar came from. So I grabbed my 50 and I start to shoot. And then there's another one come in and there's seven pieces of shrapnel hit me in the side of the head. But I did not stop firing my 50. I kept firing where I seen that smoke. 
but we never did get no more mortars that night. So we got my sergeant matabacked out, and I never did see him no more. And these pieces in my head, they didn't mataback me out because it wasn't that severe. So I just ignored it. My medic kind of wiped the blood down <laughs> and done that. And that stayed in my head till I came home. It stayed in there, I guess, 10 years after I got home. But it, in the wintertime, it would hurt. It would just get tight and hurt. So I had Dr. Jimmy to cut them out. He took them, took them out. And that took care of that. Wasn't no more problem in there. But, uh, but we had... A lot of people kill. Uh, this same fire base, we were pulling security on it one one week, and uh, my lieutenant, they needed to go back in and get some supplies, and and he had me up front to lead us back at the base camp. Before we pulled out, my lieutenant says. You stay here. Our medic needs some supplies. He's going in, and you're, you know, they're going in your place. So they went about a half a mile, and I heard this explosion and this black smoke. And I heard them on radio calling for help. And I still remember that sound on that radio. At the track it had mine and the VC or the NBA detonated that mine just exactly the right spot. So it flipped that APC up on its top, killed the TC and two gunners. And they were still getting automatic weapons far from the wood line. So they got the dead up and they could hear the driver. He was still in the APC. So what they did before the airstrikes came in, they took an APC tied to that and the others were back here giving them support. They just had a shoe there protecting this APC that the driver was hung up in and couldn't get out. So they got him out. When they got him out, because they met him back and took the bodies out too when the medevacs came in. And and I still think why would I left behind? I don't know. But our main mission there was support the infantry, and then we would we'd have search and destroy missions. We we had orders to go out and destroy everything. If there's any animals, 
chickens, whatever we was to eliminate. But again, I'm here and several of my friends didn't make it. And I, I'm here by the grace of God. There's no question in my mind that God brought me out of all this for a purpose. We were working by ourselves one day. And we had this tune sergeant. He was new in country. We was going up towards this little hut over here on this side, and, and the wood line back here was pretty well heavy. When we started getting automatic weapons far and RPGs and mortars, we just pulled back because I was lead track that day. And I knew enough to get back. So when everything kind of calmed down, this, loop, this platoon sergeant told me, we're going to assault this woodline. And uh, I said, no. I am not leading us into that woodline. And that was a direct order, and I did not. I, I would not do it, and I did not do it. So he got the next person behind me to, to lead us in there. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. I know what's going to happen. We can't do that. So he says, I'll drive us in there. So he took his TC and he took his driver, put him in the TC, TC hatch, and he got behind the wheel and he was going to drive. He did. He drove it about 50 yards. An RPG went through the left side, RPG went through the front of it, blowed the two gunners off, wounded them, knocked them out. And when that second one went in, it ignited the fuel tank. And that fuel started burning three people. The sergeant was the first one that I got out, and he was burning all over his clothes. I just jerked them all off of him, throwed him in the back of my APC. And Larry Hicks, he was the gunner that knocked him out. He was 19-year-old. I throwed him in the back of my APC, and I looked up, and I could see them mortars and RPGs going over my head, and I told my driver, y'all back out of here, get out, go. So that left me there with uh, Hansel Butler and another little colored guy. So I got their clothes put off, got off of them, or clean, you know, took them off, and uh, there was a wounded Arvin in that APC, too. And I got him out. But he wasn't burning that much. His pants was burning. 
but he wasn't flaming like the others, you know, from waist up, waist down. So I got him out, and there were three of us was left there. So I told Hansel, I said, we need to get over in that old hutch, because the bottom of it dug out a little bit. So the three of us went over there, and we drug that Arvin over and put him in there with us. And uh, we was in there about five minutes, and the air strikes coming. They started bringing air strikes in. And I told Hansel and this other guy, I didn't know his name, but uh, I told him we got to go because these bombs coming here, they could drop one on us. So when we got ready to leave, I told the Arvin, Arvin, he could understand some English, and I said, listen, we can't carry you out of here, but we'll send somebody back for you. So me and Hansel, this other boy, we started low crawling, belly crawling. I mean, just belly. Fast forward from here to the end of the church there, and then we jumped up and started running. But when all this happened, there was a colonel flying around, surveying the area. And like I say, we had no leader except this, you know, sergeant. He was E-7, something like that. And the rest of us were spec force, E-5s, and all that. So we didn't have nobody really in command. So he seen all this coming around. They'd already loggered up back there. So he landed back there. And he took Larry and these other two and a platoon sergeant. He took them back to the hospital. And then they started medevacs in to pick us up. I was the last one to be met back that afternoon. Hansel and the black kid, he was, they met back them out and then they come back and got me. And when we started running, I looked back at Hansel and the, and the skin on their bodies were just peeling off. So there, they left me there. I was the last one to medevac out. And I was burnt from uh, arms down, about third degree burns. And I was laying there in that rice paddy, suffering like crazy. <laughs> you know how burn feels when you're in the sun and all this. So I was laying there, wishing that I could lay in a tub of water or something just cool me off. Of course, I was burning on my chest a little too, but not bad. But my arms from here down, where I was jerking their clothes off of them, and my platoon sergeant, I couldn't get his boots off, and his boots were smoking when I got his clothes off of it. So anyway, they come back and got me, throwed me in that chopper. When they come in to get them, wounded person. They don't land that chopper. They come in and they'll 
they'll come in real slow and then they'll swing back this way. When they come back this way, they'll throw you in there. Well, they picked me up and threw me in feet first. And when that chopper went this way, I was looking straight down in the rice paddy. I mean, scared me to death. I thought I was going to slide out of that chopper. My toes were just dragging like crazy in my belly, holding on. I couldn't use my hands. But when they straightened up, I started crying. And I, I still today don't know why I started crying. And that gunner, I still remember his face, the look on his face when he seen me and me crying. So when I got to Chula at the hospital, they took me in, put me in a bed, and uh, that night, this colonel came in with a purple heart. And I think, what? A purple heart? You know, I've been in the hospital probably four hours, and he's bringing me a purple heart. So the next morning, they flew me to Da Nang to the hospital. When I got down there, they peeled the skin off of me. My hands just look like a peeled onion, just white as snow, and I could see every print in my hand. And they bandaged them up, and they kept them on me for two weeks. I couldn't do nothing. The nurses and the doctors were super. I praise them. If, if it wasn't for doctors and nurses, there would have been a lot more casualties in Vietnam. And the medevac choppers pilots, they were super. I spent two, three, I was in the hospital three times. First time I went to the hospital, they sent us down there to guard a refugee camp. And a refugee camp, probably hundreds of people in there. So I was there about a week. And I remember buying a Coke from this little goop girl and drinking it. So I don't know if that's what caused it or not, but I came down with a fever. My medic was checking my fever, and he says, you've got a 103 fever, but they won't medevac you out unless you've got a 104. And he says, your temperature is a little over 103. He says, I'm going to tell them that you've got a 104 fever, that you need to be medevaced out to the hospital. So that's what he did. He called a medevac in. They came in there just about dusty dark. They loaded me on the chopper, started back to Chulai, and they, I guess they was afraid to fly at night, but they landed somewhere in the far base and put me in a bunker. I laid in that bunker all night suffering like crazy. I could not, I mean, it, I was in a lot of pain. I just welded, you know, you soon die because <laughs> when you're in so much pain, you just, you know, can't stand it. So that next morning, they put me in the chopper, 
took me and put me in a hospital in July. I stayed in July for a week and a half. And the nurses there, I didn't want for anything. They were with me 24-7, checking me every hour or so. And when I had to go to the bathroom, I had to bring back a stool specimen. All was there was blood and water. Blood and water. So anyway, they got me through that. And then after they got me through that, they sent me back to the base camp. And of course, we went out back out on missions. And uh, that's when we all got burnt and hurt. I had done, done that back sometime. So those people that I pulled out of that APC, the ones that were unconscious, I don't think, I don't think the, the platoon sergeant knew who took him out. And this young boy, Larry Hicks, he didn't know who got him either. So after all this was over, and I got sent back to Fort Knox. They put me on burial detail. Now, about a month after I got to Fort Knox, they put me on a burial detail. And you know what a burial detail is. You go bury your brothers in arms. The first one went on was in Illinois. Went up there and buried this kid. And of course, I was one that had the 21 gun salute. And then when they started playing taps, I, I, mean, I, couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I just broke down and started crying. So I went on the next one. Same thing happened. I could not. I couldn't handle it. So when I got back to Fort Knox, I went to my CO and I told him, I said, I can't do this no more. I cannot go bury my friends. So they took me off of it. So, I decided to marry Cliff while I was Fort Knox because I'd get some more money because I was married. <laughs> so I told her, I said, yeah, let's go ahead and get married. I can get another hundred and some dollars a month. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> she, she'd come, we got married and, and, and she enjoyed, I think, coming to Fort Knox and living a week or so, you know, and then going back home and working, so. When I got out, we bought a house and started having kids. And, and I had went 40 years, I think, I guess, 40 years or longer, where those guys were at. And uh, one night I came home from church, and Cleveland says, uh, you got a phone call tonight. He says, I don't know if you want it or not. 
I said, well, who is it? And I think she said, I, I think she told me, Hugh Bateman. Hugh was my lieutenant's driver. He drove for him. Well, he drove for all of them. That's there. And then, you know, they'd come in and go, come and go. Leaders like, like the troops would, you know, you serve your time, you're ready to go home. So, uh, but when I got ready to leave Vietnam to come home, I'd already got a Purple Heart. And uh, they had assembly out there one morning. And I was, with, I was in that assembly. And uh, this colonel presented me with a silver star. And I, I was shocked. No, I didn't. I, I didn't know if I deserved a silver star or not. So of course I took it. And Larry Hicks, one, that kid, that was in there that I took, got him, put him, got him out of that situation. He never did know who who pulled him out of there. He didn't know who. He was there when I got that silver star, but he didn't know that I was the one that took him out of that. APC picked him up and put him in my APC. So when I got that phone call from Hugh, it took me, I guess, I, I'm pretty sure 30 or 40 minutes to calm myself down. And then when I finally had enough nerve to call him, he said that they'd been looking for me for 40 some years. And they thought I was in Tennessee. And so when they found out where I was at, they called me and told me they was meeting in Vanceburg. They'd been meeting up there for seven or eight years. And they're trying to find everybody's in the platoon. And uh, that first year I went up there, Larry Hicks, he knew then who pulled him out and got him out of that situation. And of course, Hansel was there with me, Hansel and this other guy. And I asked about this guy that I didn't know his name, but he was colored. And Hansel told me that he died with something after he got back from the service. Now, if you all know, there was 58,000 young men and was killed in Vietnam. But there's so many other thousands probably died of Agent Orange that they were exposed to in Vietnam. Agent Orange, I was told, was nothing but straight Roundup. I was in areas where they sprayed Agent Orange, but it never affected me or any of my platoon that I know of. But those kids that sprayed it from those choppers and those grunts infantryed them below when that got on them, that's what caused the Agent Orange to get in that in their body. So there've been so many thousands, I guess. That I know some has died with Agent Orange, and that's because of all that they was in contact with over and up. But once a year after they found me, we've been getting together. I've been going now six years, I think. And the ones that I was with in Vietnam, my troop, they're all there. 
that can be there, you know. So there's about 17 the last time we was up there that served in my platoon, first platoon. So that's that's a, that's that helped me a lot to get to see them. And what we do up there, we have a a, a service for them, program. We recognize our veterans that were with us, and then we recognize the seven that was killed in my <laughs> platoon, and we usually release balloons and have the 21-gun salute and release the balloons in their, own, in their honor. So anyway, like I say, I'm here by the grace of God. That's the only thing I can explain. You know, why does some come back and some don't? But I tell you right now, and I've said it before, a hero is the one that gives his life for his country. It ain't a silver star. It ain't a purple heart. They're not heroes to me. The one that is a hero is the one that gave his life for this country. And I'm proud to be a Vietnam vet. I know Vietnam veterans got a terrible homecoming welcome. I think some of us hated us because we were over in Vietnam killing babies. We never killed a baby one. Everyone that was killed, they attacked us first. And I have no remorse of what I did in Nam. Uh, it's hard to kill somebody. But when you see what's happening to your friends and your buddies, your fellow men, it kind of gets easy. It don't hurt as bad to kill someone. And, you know, the Bible tells us there'll always be rumors of wars and wars. And what I see of our country today, we're in a critical situation. If we as Christians don't start praying to God and trying to change America back to a Christian nation within 15, 20 years, we're not going to be no Christian nation. And what does God say? When my people humble themselves, seek my face, then I'll heal your land. And our land definitely needs healing. And we as Christians definitely need to pray. And we don't need to take no slack off of any non-Christians. We need to stand up for what God expects us to do. Pray to Him. I could, I could go on for <laughs> I could ramble for a month. But I think it's time I stop. I appreciate you asking me. And uh, just remember, if we didn't have a strong military, we wouldn't be free today. And these, why do you think everybody wants to come to America? 
It's the greatest nation on earth. But, like I say, there's people coming in here now that's going to try to change our way of living. Well, God bless each and every one of you. Thank you again. And I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I hope I haven't offended anyone.